Greetings to you all, and uh, we have uh, battery power for the uh, PA system, and I've been told that uh, it will last for a little while. <laughs> so I think the message will be that when the audio cuts off, that's the end of the sermon. So, uh, But uh, it reminds me, as Mr. McNair said, uh, I did give the last great day sermon in uh, Tulsa in the dark in the afternoon. That was uh, 1987, and then 19 years later, a last great day afternoon sermon. The same thing happened in Copper Mountain, Colorado. So this is the third time I'm preaching in the dark, uh, but at least I have light. Anyway, uh, welcome to all of you, uh, our guests that are here, and to all our brethren, uh, if this is being recorded for our brethren around the world. But it is exciting times in which we're living, but very sobering times. And we count it all joy whenever we enter into diverse trials, as it counts, as it says there in James, the first chapter, that we might be complete, that the trying of your faith may uh, test you and you might become complete in all Christ. So we're thankful to be here, and uh, even as we prepare for the Feast of Tabernacles, and realize that some of our brethren in other parts of the world, in Haiti and other areas, are suffering and uh, facing even greater trials than we are here. And we do thank uh, all of the crew here for the resourcefulness, applying the fifth law of success of uh, resourcefulness. So opening the doors and getting a little ambient light has been helpful. On, in May 2000, 2016, here in Charlotte, we had the Memorial Day weekend. It was a singles weekend. I gave a sermon here titled, uh, Characteristics of Closeness. I'd like to continue that theme uh, today. And this, the title of the sermon today is, Develop Loving Relationships. And of course, as we head for the Feast of Tabernacles, we'll have a wonderful opportunity to do that. What are the qualities of close relationships? Uh, why should we develop attributes of loving relationships with others? And what are the laws of loving relationships that guarantee success, happiness, and fulfillment? And what is the greatest commandment in God's awesome universe? We have an expanding universe that is just marvelous. But it abides by natural laws. And throughout the whole universe, what are the greatest laws? Turn to Mark, the 12th chapter. Mark, the 12th chapter, and I know you all know the answer to that question. But this is so vital and so important, it has to do with the very purpose and meaning of existence and God's plan of salvation and His royal family of which we will become even more a, an immortal part in the future. Mark 12 and verse 28. Then one of the scribes came and having heard them and reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. So here we have a universe with galaxies, and we have our solar system with a 
Earth revolving around the sun and other planets. And yet in all the universe, the greatest commandment, the greatest law, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Dr. Meredith gave a sermon, number 649, the first great commandment. That's God's principle and commandment of love in the universe. Turn to 1 John, the fourth chapter, 1 John 4. Jim Meredith, who gave a sermon in Charlotte, June 18th, 2016. It was titled, Love, Fear, and Serve God. He emphasized the major principle, which is key to developing and nurturing loving relationships. That's 1 John 4 and verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So while we love God, how do we demonstrate that love? One of the main ways is by loving our neighbors, loving our brethren as ourselves. That's so key. So our loving relationships are interconnected. Our love must radiate in all directions. One way we demonstrate our love toward God is by loving our neighbors and loving our enemies. As it says in Matthew 5, verse 44. We all know the purpose of human life. We know the awesome human destiny that God has planned for all of us. But the world is blinded to that very purpose of life. Mainstream professing Christianity does not preach the coming of the kingdom of God. And yet Jesus preached that in Matthew 1, Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. That the kingdom of God is coming and he is the king of that wonderful kingdom. And he's called us to serve as kings and priests in that kingdom. Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong, I was listening to uh, an old radio program, I'm going to say, and he said, the kingdom of God is first the government of God, and secondly, it is the family of God. And then he had a second thought, and he said, well, we could reverse that and say, the kingdom of God is the family of God, and it's the government of God. So we know our calling, we know our destiny. And it is based on spiritual love, based on spiritual relationships. And we are now preparing for that time when we will be born into the royal family of God as immortal children of God. We know that 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4. So are we rejoicing in that human destiny? I hope you're rejoicing in the dark because we said, you know, when you fall into diverse trials, uh, count it all joy. And I hope you are counting it joy here today. But we count it joy because we understand God's plan. said in John 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. But how is that abundant life demonstrated? What is it based upon? is based upon relationships. 
And the greatest relationship of all is between God and his begotten children and between Jesus Christ and his spiritual brothers and sisters. Let me repeat that. The greatest relationship of all is between God and his begotten children and between Jesus Christ and his spiritual brothers and sisters. We also relate to other human beings, our neighbors, our families, and our church brethren. But God expects a certain quality to that relationship. Turn to James, the fourth chapter. Mr. DeSimone read this and emphasized the matter of God's promise that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. But I want to emphasize that other characteristic of closeness. Verse 8, James 4, verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. God expects that quality in our relationship with him. We have sermon number 850, how close are you to God? And then sermon 939, uh, characteristics of closeness, which I previously referred to. So God expects us to be close to him, to draw near to him, and build loving relationships. How can we improve our relationship with God and with one another? We all need to grow and overcome because we still have carnal nature. And we are in the process of replacing that carnal nature with God's divine nature. And he tells us in 2 Peter 2, 2 Peter 1, that he's given us Precious promises that by these promises we may partake in his divine nature. We are special, not because of anything that we have done ourselves, but because of God's calling, because of his grace. He has given us unmerited pardon. He's given us the gift of his Holy Spirit by which we can be close to him. But the world, of course, is based on self relationships, selfish relationships, and sometimes painful relationships. Well, I was expecting to give a longer sermon, so I was going to give you 120 points, but I'm going to have to cut it down because I'm sure the PA system may go out at any time. So I'm just going to have to start, but I will number keys to loving relationships. What are several ways to develop a loving relationship and even improve a loving relationship? So we'll see how far we get. Number one in developing loving relationships is to seek God. And I've just explained what that greatest relationship is. Hebrews 11, turn back a couple pages, a few pages Back in your Bible from James to Hebrews, and you know Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, but he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Well, you come to the point, as it says in 1 John, we know that we know him. We have to come to that point not only that we just believe that he is, but we know him and we know that we know him. And that is the intense and dynamic loving relationship that we will have. 
Dr. Meredith's sermon on May 20th, 2016 was a must-play titled Overcoming Satan and Demons. He concluded by saying, quote, One thing I want you to get from this sermon is to seek God all day long. You will win the battle. You will overcome. And in that sermon he stated, quote, How close young people, young people, be in touch with God on a daily basis. Then he asked, How close are you to God? What would turn you aside? He also told us about Herbert Armstrong who would praise 30 to 60 times a day. He would have short prayers thanking God for little things. You can have short prayers throughout the day as well. You know the prophet Daniel prayed three times a day on his knees, even at the threat of being thrown to the lions. And we sing that song, Psalm 55, verse 17, Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Turn to Philippians, the fourth chapter. Philippians 4 and verse 4. Apparently this was, uh, according to some sources, was Mrs. Loma Armstrong's favorite uh, verse. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So as we seek God, we have that dynamic, that rejoicing relationship with God. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The first key to developing loving relationships is to seek God continually. The second key to developing loving relationships is to know the other person to whom you're relating. Know details about your friend's life. Learn significant information about your friends and family. My turn to John 17. Okay, uh, that's right. You're, you're not uh, all being able to read your Bibles. John 17th chapter. John 17 and verse 3. How much do you know about the other person? John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Mr. Wallace Smith's telecast, Can I Really Know God?, that aired April 17, 2016, emphasized that verse. Yes, you can really know God. And that is the wonderful blessing that God gives us. Dr. Meredith gave a must-play sermon March 19, 2016, the real Jesus Christ. And we, brethren, have that wonderful opportunity to know the true Christ of the Bible. Not the one with long hair. Not the one that supposedly rose on a sunrise Sunday on Easter, so-called Easter. No, that's a false Christ. We know the true dynamic Christ who is Lord of the Sabbath. As the Savior of the world, and as our great high priest. 
I mentioned this to you before, but Mr. Armstrong referred to the book, The Man Nobody Knows, actually by Bruce Barton. Bruce Barton was the founder of BBDNO, one of the most successful advertising agencies, and actually was the advertising agency for the world tomorrow. And we actually visited their offices in Atlanta one time. But Bruce Barton was kind of puzzled when he understood, what is this Christian religion? It doesn't seem to match up with the concept of this Jesus that the people in professing Christianity seem to promote. So in his book, he wrote, quote, Jesus pushed a plane and swung an ads. He was a successful carpenter. He slept outdoors and spent his days walking around his favorite lake. His muscles were so strong that when he drove the money changers out, nobody dared to oppose him. A killjoy, he was the most popular dinner guest in Jerusalem. The criticism which proper people made was that he spent too much time with publicans and sinners and enjoyed society too much. They called him a wine-bibber and gluttonous man. When the man finished reading, that is, Bruce Barton referring to himself, when the man finished his reading, he exclaimed, This is a man nobody knows. That happened to me, and I've shared that with you before, but when I was 12 years old in Sunday school, and I heard about this Jesus, and I began to question was there really this Jesus that existed? So I started reading through the book of Matthew. And we just got, of course, through the genealogy and about John the Baptist. And then when I got to the Sermon on the Mount and started reading, one particular comment by Jesus got my attention as a 12-year-old. It was Matthew 5, verse 39. Jesus said, But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. I said, what? You know, that, that doesn't seem right. That, that, that's, but I realized that was such a dynamic departure from common, natural ways of living. It got my attention. And I began to really read then more of the Bible and realize this is different. This is a way of life that demands courage. This is a way of life that demands a total different reaction to carnal provocations. Of course, God didn't call me until I was age 25, but when I look back on it, He certainly was working with me in my life. So how much do you know about the life of Jesus? If you are applying the second point of know more about your friends, what do you know about Jesus? Do you know his titles and his names? He is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. And Isaiah 9, verse 6. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's also the Savior of the world. The woman at the Samaritan well was dumbfounded at his insight. And then the whole city came out and said, now we believe in him, not because of what you woman said, but because of hearing his own words, and we know that he is the Savior of the world. That's John 4:42. That term is also in 1 John 4, verse 14. 
We know twice in the book of Revelation he's called the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's our great high priest. And you read that several times through the book of Hebrews, starting with Hebrews 4, verse 15. He's the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, that takes away the sins of the world. He's the bread of life. John 6, verse 35 and John 6, 48. He's the the Christ. He's the Messiah. How much do you know about your friend? I know Dr. Meredith uh, certainly knows much about his friends because he will tell us at an executive lunch about the background of uh, each of the leaders here at headquarters. He knows their educational background. Uh, He has also a special gift of knowing um, the birth dates of many people. But how much do you know about your friend? Dale Carnegie emphasized this in How to Win Friends and Influence People. Quote, Remember that a person's name is, to him or her, the sweetest and most important sound in any language. End of quote. I know that times we were discussing up in uh, St. Louis, and by the way, greetings to you all from uh, the congregations in St. Louis, Columbia, and Rolla, Missouri, and Springfield, Illinois. Uh, we appreciated Dr. and Mrs. Fall and their hospitality there. We, we were talking, how about do you remember people's names? And uh, Dr. Fall was, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Franz uh, was saying, uh, well, he had difficulty remembering a Mr. Graham. And that seems like a common name he wouldn't forget, but he said, Mr. Graham helped me to remember his name by saying, just remember Graham Crackers. And so now he was able to remember his name. And then we had a good friend uh, in Houston when I was pastoring the church there, Mr. Wasselski. He's since died and sleeping in Christ. But Mr. Wasselski, that, that's a very difficult name to remember. How can we remember it? Well, Mr. Wasselski told us, well, you can remember my name very easily. We sell skis. Okay, so Mr. Wasselski. So I, I can't forget his name. It's so uh, common. But... No details about your friend's life. In 1 John 2, verse 3, it says, By this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. So, try to remember certain particular special events or background or educational experiences from your friends. Key number two, to develop loving relationships. No details about your friend's life. Know more about your friend. Number three is share your life. That is, you have to practice what is called self-disclosure. And that can be risky at times. But I told you the story when I was taking the interpersonal communication class as a graduate class, and we were assigned to improve our relationship with one other person. And, of course, I chose my wife. I've been married, uh, I think, 12 or 13 years at that point in time. And, and I thought, well, what, how can I improve my relationship with my wife? Well, one of the keys in this uh, book, Interpersonal Communication by Patton and Giffen, was self-disclosure. He states on, uh, or they state, the author on page 345, 345, 
The degree of involvement between two persons is also a function of the amount of personal information exchanged. For someone to be important to you, you must know something about him or her that matters to you and that makes a great difference to you. If you don't know much about the person, it is not likely that your acquaintance will amount to much of a relationship. If a rewarding relationship is desired, the other person will have to reveal something of himself or herself to you and you to him or her. So self-disclosure is a basic function of the degree of involvement between two people. So you need to share your thoughts and share your dreams and share your personal goals and experiences. And I began to do that with my wife, which I had not done on a regular basis. I was out playing sports, and after the end of the workday in Big Sandy, the faculty would be out playing basketball every day, 5 o'clock, and get back for dinner at 7 o'clock and have dinner, and then I would start preparing for classes the next day and not spending enough time with my wife. But I began sharing more of my thoughts and experiences throughout the day, and it improved our relationship. So you share your life, but you also, in your life, have shared common experiences. We all in God's church, not all of us here today, but over the years have shared common experiences when the church state crisis occurred in 1979 in Pasadena. And the state took over uh, some of the offices. And we had continuous church services in the Hall of Administration. And when the sheriffs and police came, Mr. Wayne Pyle was at the front door, courageously not letting those in, that we were having church services and you can't come in here. We were there. All of us, some of them were there, had that common experience. And throughout the church, we've had other common experiences of the disruption of the global church of God, in which... Dr. Meredith left the, uh, was put out in a sense by the board of the Global Church of God and we had to start all over again as the Living Church of God in November of 1998 with no, no assets, no office or anything. But 75 to 80% of the ministry and membership followed Dr. Meredith. And we had that common experience. We have a common experience when we suffer. Because he tells us in 1 Peter that he that suffers, let him, uh, you know, if you joy in the suffering because you are taking upon you the sufferings of Jesus Christ. It's in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. So share your life with others and share your life, of course, with God the Father. 1 John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You develop a close, intimate relationship by sharing your life and even more intimately with God the Father in confessing your sins. 
And remember to be heartfelt in your prayers as you share your life. Even King David was amazingly, uh, you might say bold, but at the same time, in the background, he knew that God would answer his prayers. For example, he complained in a sense in Psalm 13, verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So, you know, God wasn't threatened by David's complaint, but David was yearning for God's intervention. Share your life. Key number three to developing loving relationships. Number four is develop your personality. You might turn uh, to Proverbs, the 16th chapter. You know, when you have an outgoing, loving personality, you are a greater and more effective ambassador of Jesus Christ. Proverbs, the 16th chapter, Proverbs 16. All that we do, you know, sometimes we invest in education, and you realize, well, that's kind of selfish, isn't it? Well, no. It's a part of the seven laws of success, the second law of success, preparation and education, with the intent and the goal of using that education to serve God and his people and his work. So you have to apply those laws of success. But developing a personality can be a part of that. Proverbs 16 and verse 21. The wise in heart will be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increases learning. Know how you communicate to others not only increases your learning, but it's increasing the learning of others. The sweetness of the lips increases learning. The uh, NRSV states it this way. The wise of heart is called perceptive, and pleasant speech increases persuasiveness. Wisdom is a fountain of life to one who has it, but folly is the punishment of fools. Verse 22. Verse 23. The mind of the wise makes their speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to their lips. Remember, we already read in key number two, Dale Carnegie's comment that, remember, that a person's name is to him or her the sweetest and most important sound in any language. So how does your personality affect other people? Are you offensive? Some people sometimes just can't help it. That's the way they are. This is a brochure called Prepare to be a King. And it was published in 1971 by the Worldwide Church of God, actually, uh, by Ambassador College. It's five different articles by Dr. Roderick Meredith. Prepare now to be a king. The second one, build the personality of a king. The third one, build the character of a king. Number four, be a loving king in your family kingdom. And then how to build leadership. So that article on build the personality of a king is very helpful to me. I 
he can tell you the story how he was on a baptizing tour and Mr. Armstrong wanted him to come back early to start the new college year. And that required Dr. Meredith, and I think it was Raymond McNair, I don't know who it was with him, but had to drive all night long. And, and uh, Roderick Meredith had a chip on his shoulder. He came onto the campus, and he was about to, you know, confront Mr. Herbert Armstrong. But Mr. Armstrong said, oh, it's so good to see you fellows back again. You, the, the beginning of the school year wouldn't be right without you. And we're going to set up a, a little vacation for you up in the mountains. How will that be? And we're just so happy to be you here, have you back here. Dr. Meredith said, coming back, Mr. Armstrong's personality just melted him. And that chip in the shoulder just, just went away. But he was so impressed with that personality of Mr. Armstrong that was so warm and welcoming. If we're going to develop loving relationships, we need that kind of development of personality. In fact, the very article, Build the Personality of a King, appeared in the Worldwide Church of God magazine, Tomorrow's World. Yes, uh, they had a Tomorrow's World magazine. On page 10 of the 1972, February 1972 uh, edition, Build the Personality of a King. Dr. Meredith wrote in that uh, article, but in the world tomorrow as today, you can either lead people or you can drive them. You can cause them to want to follow you or you can make them. Which is it going to be? When Jesus spoke, the people were warmed and inspired. The jealous, bickering religious leaders of his day were fearful lest the whole nation begin to follow him, John 11, verse 48. His teaching and his personality had such a profound effect on people that his disciples remarked in Luke 24, 32, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? So, key number three is develop the personality of a king. Develop your personality. I, uh, I think I uh, questioned you before or surveyed you before how many of you had ever taken the uh, Briggs-Myers uh, personality test. I can't see your hands, so I won't ask for that. Oh, okay. For those of you who have uh, cell phones with lights, uh, you can raise your hand. How many of you have taken the Briggs-Myers personality test? Oh, look at those lights. You are. That's, that's, that's beautiful. That's, that's very pretty, by the way. Those lights out here. Look like about uh, 35 of you with uh, your cell phones. Um, but I took it uh, recently. It's free. And uh, I found out that uh, I had the same personality as uh, Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart. Um, and uh, there are 16 different types. And uh, the one I have says... This personality type has a clear moral code that guides their behavior and their expectations from others. So anyway, I would encourage you to do that. It's free on the Internet. But nonetheless, if you know what your personality is like, uh, you can modify it, adjust it, or capitalize on the strengths that you have. The, the principle is, brethren, that we all have different personalities. We all need the same godly, perfect, righteous, holy 
character, but we express it in different ways. Dr. Meredith has mentioned uh, about the personality of the apostles. Remember that James and John were the sons of thunder. (laughs) They had different personalities. Peter was aggressive and presumptuous at times. John was the disciple Jesus loved. So they all had different personalities. But God used them all as servants to fulfill the mission that he gave the church. So while we have different personalities, we also have different gifts. And well, let's turn there briefly. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. 1 Corinthians 12, starting with uh, verse 12. For as the body is one, it has many members. All the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. But there are diversities of gifts, verse 4, but the same spirit. So we have different gifts. Verse 8, for one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, another the word of knowledge. Verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit. To another gifts of healings by the same spirit. To another the working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of languages, interpretation of languages. But one and the same spirit works in all these, distributing to each one as he wills. So we're not all eyes or ears or knees or elbows, uh, but we are all servants of Christ. And we need to develop our personality so that we can encourage others into the kingdom of God. We all have different gifts, but we all need to develop, of course, not only our personality, but to grow in the godly character. So number four, key to develop loving relationships, is to develop your personality. Number five is to choose your friends carefully. Turn to Proverbs 12. And verse 26, Proverbs 12, and verse 26. You know, some of our high schools are not that friendly because our youth who have biblical morals and standards have to uh, stand against the wave of carnality and... Ah! Good. Let your light shine. (laughs) Okay, well, I guess I can go on for another hour. I mean, uh, well, the uh, battery isn't going to take off. So anyway, thank God for uh, turning the lights on. And just uh, perhaps one of the object lessons we can all remember that we are lights uh, of the world. He said, you are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So let your light shine. So number five is choose your friends carefully. Proverbs 12. Verse 26, the righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Dr. Douglas Winneo in his sermon on Proverbs, Vital Lessons of Life, September 3rd, 2016, emphasized that very point. Wise friends choose their friends carefully, he emphasized. And so who are your friends? You choose your friends carefully. James, the second chapter. James' friend. James' friends. 
Yes. You know whose friend Abraham was? James 2 and verse 23. James 2, verse 23. And the scripture is fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Is God your friend? Christ called his disciples friends. And so we need to make sure that we have that kind of closeness to God. To believe God, obey God, to follow him. Let's turn to uh, John 15 and verse 13. John 15. Choose your friends very carefully. But we know our greatest friend is Jesus Christ. God called Abraham his friend. John 15 and verse 13. Our friends can be developed and our relationship can improve as we apply these godly principles. John 15, 13. Greater love is no one than this, that a man lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have known unto you. We talked about self-disclosure earlier, sharing personal information with others, and of course you have to be very careful with that, and of course some of our youth have gone overboard and crossed the line on social media and uh, divulging too much personal information. You need to make sure, of course, that you don't risk that way and bring shame upon your family and shame upon the church. But Jesus said he was able to share those things that he heard from his Father with his disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. Are there some relationships that you should avoid? We've, uh, of course, discussed about improving relationships. Turn back to Proverbs 14 and verse 7. Proverbs 14. Now you have your Bibles. You can all turn to the Scriptures. Proverbs 14 7. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. So there are certain individuals, yes, you should avoid. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. Solomon gave even stronger admonition along that line in the first chapter. Proverbs 1 and verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. We had that admonition and sermonette by Mr. D. Simone. We need to resist Satan and make sure that the Feast of Tabernacles, we are drawing near to God. Verse 15, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. So yes, there are relationships you should avoid. Key number five to developing loving relationships is choose your friends carefully. Key number six is listen carefully. 
John, the 10th chapter, John 10. And again, how do you develop loving relationships if you're listening, listening carefully? Well, you're showing attention, you're showing respect, you're showing love. And I know I had that problem in the past. I, I just didn't want to listen to someone and my eyes would go oh, around the room and someone else, my wife would say, Dick, you're not paying attention to the person that's talking to you. Listen carefully. You'll develop loving relationships. John 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Listen carefully. Turn to uh, Luke, uh, the 8th chapter, Luke 8. How do we listen to Christ's voice? Well, through the Scriptures, through the ministry, from one another, as those who are inspired or trying to help us through a trial or overcome a problem. Luke, the 8th chapter, Luke 8, starting with uh, verse 17. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear. For whoever has to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be, what he seems to have will be taken from him. So be careful how you hear. Pay attention. And that will help you in developing loving relationships. That's key number five. Key number six is have compassion. During the first Peter, the third chapter. First Peter, the third chapter. Can you feel what others are feeling? You know, you hear the expression, I feel your pain. And some say, well, you're not really feeling my pain. Well, at least I can feel your pain to some degree, because I've experienced pain. 1 Peter 3, verse 8. 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers. Be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Remember that God is called the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That's in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3. So we need to have that compassion to be able to be sensitive to other people's trials and their feelings and their hurts, their emotional ups and downs, and to have compassion. Well, Second Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 12, and we certainly appreciate the love here in the Charlotte congregation, the prayers for one another, and the service that you all help with one another. There's certainly a wonderful degree of compassion and service and care that you have for each other here in the Charlotte congregation. We really appreciate that. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 24. 
I'm sorry, it'll be 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 24. Well, make it verse 26. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So when one is honored, we feel honored. We shouldn't be jealous of that. When someone is ordained of, uh, to an office, for example, and we know our brethren in Haiti, we want to have compassion for them and, and care for them and pray for them. But have compassion one to another. That's number seven. To develop loving relationships, number seven, have compassion. Number eight may be a little challenging for some of us. Submit to one another and serve one another. Let's turn to 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, 1 Peter 5. Submit to one another and serve one another. 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. First Peter 5 and verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That may be difficult for you know, the young adult or teenager who thinks he or she knows it all. And, oh, my parents, they're, they're just uh, old fogies. You know, they're, they're, they're way out of tune. They're, they're ancient. <laughs> they don't know much. Well, you have to be careful uh, how you uh, categorize your parents. Instead, of course, if you have grandparents and Parents, you want to, as a teenager or as a, a child, to learn more from your parents and to ask questions. I know after my mother had her stroke and uh, at age 80, I was no longer able to ask her questions about the family. I did learn from my cousin that my mother, of course, I knew she was one of eight children. They live on a farm with 365 apple trees. And I didn't know, I never knew that. But my uncle had shared with her, his granddaughter, interesting uh, facts about his life, how he uh, played the trumpet in the army and how um, a loaf of bread cost 10 cents in his day. So again, I encourage young people to actually interview their parents or grandparents and find out about them, about their mass life. But he said, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves. Now, turn over to chapter 2 and verse 18. Chapter 2 and verse 18. And some of you have worked with uh, uh, strict foremen or supervisors in the world in a company. Uh, listen to this. First Peter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Not easy to do. For this is commendable. 
if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So he says, take it patiently and be submissive, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Number 18, verse 18. Well, you think of service as well as submission. You think of service, what do you think of immediately as the greatest example of service? Well, one of them, of course, was Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Here is the king of the universe, the savior of the world, the Messiah, the Logos, the one who was with God, who created all things through Christ. And he gets down and washes his disciples' feet. We might turn to uh, Galatians 5. Galatians 5. I think of uh, the woman who washed Jesus' feet. And that brings me to tears sometimes when, when I read about that. I'll just actually quote from that particular verse. It's Luke 7, verse 44. And Jesus said to his host, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. Well, what a scene that would be. Here's a woman crying and washing Jesus' feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. That was worship. That was service. Galatians 5. Find Galatians. Verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the love law is fulfilled in the word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. So he says, serve one another. Turn back to uh, Ephesians, the fifth chapter, Ephesians 5. <clears throat> Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Remember, we have the instruction about marriage relations between husbands and wives. But notice, he starts here in verse 18. And be not drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, you know the principle of answered prayer If you ask anything according to the will of God, you know that you have the petitions you require of Him. And that is God's instruction to you. Be filled with the Spirit. Actually, that's one of the points later on, but we'll touch on it now. Verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So you want to have that service to serve one another. And you want to submit to one another, verse 21, in the fear of God. There was an article about good neighbors in the Charlotte Observer, September 3rd, 2016, called Everyday Angels, Couple with Flat Tire Overwhelmed by Offers of Help. It's a little lengthy, but I think it's worth reading the short story. My wife, Wilhelmina, was driving to church on a Sunday this summer when the car got a flat front tire. We were on a park road heading up toward Uptown. We stopped, pulled to the curb, put the flashers on, and exited the car, only to discover we both left our cell phones at home. So don't leave your cell phones at home. We were standing there on the sidewalk, a little bit lost as what to do, when a young man approached on the sidewalk and thankfully had a cell phone. We called AAA and waited. And we were happily shocked by what occurred as we waited. Possibly ten or more people walking and driving stopped to ask us if we needed help. They offered us water and invited us to church just down the street. The person across the street was cutting his grass and twice offered to come to our assistance. An elderly couple approached us, stopped to offer assistance, and the woman put her arm around my wife in a comforting gesture. I was so moved by the kindness and humanity shown to us. We are black, and all the folks who stopped were white. We would love to say a public thank you to everyone who helped. That was in the Charlotte Observer. Key number eight to develop loving relationships is to submit to one another and serve one another. Number nine is to respect one another. Turn to Philippians, the second chapter. Philippians 2, just ahead a few pages. Philippians 2. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, Let each esteem others better than himself. Now, this may be an urban legend, but uh, so according to one story, uh, one of our luminaries, I'll call him, one of our special people in Pasadena years ago, came up to one of our ministers and said, Dr. So-and-so, You make me feel inferior. And he said, allegedly, Madam, you are. (laughs) Not very kind, but maybe what he was trying to teach her was that she had a vanity about her in saying that she was inferior. But God says here, you esteem others better than yourself. You value others better than yourself. The NIV has it, do nothing out of selfish ambition, Ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others 
above yourselves. The English Standard Version says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So as you respect another person, as you practice courtesy, and again, I had to adjust uh, in marriage because I come from the military and, you know, I expected when I say go, she's going to go, like the centurion. I say to this man, go, and he goes. I say to this man, come, and he comes. Well, my wife didn't react that way. (laughs) I had to learn to adjust. And courtesy is the solution. Please, thank you. And my wife and I to this day, probably around a dozen times a day, will say thank you to each other. It's just part of my coping mechanism, but it works. You develop loving relationships with, with others through courtesy. And mission statement number five of our sevenfold mission is learn and practice servant leadership in all our dealings with others. I'm not giving you this quotable quote before, but QQ when I take notes of sermons or sermonettes. And this is in Dr. Meredith's co-worker letter of October 10th, 2005. I've quoted it before. Quote, Talk about natural disasters. Even as I write, radio and television reports tell us that tens of thousands of human beings have perished in the powerful earthquake which just struck Pakistan and parts of India. Perhaps none of these people were truly acquainted with God, the God of the Bible. But every human being is precious in God's sight. Every human being is precious in God's sight. So point number nine is respect one another. And be careful of labeling, accusations. I know even as a a teenager, you'll, you'll hear them say, you fool. And then the counter is, well, don't you know, friend, what Jesus said? There in Matthew 25. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother is uh, in danger of judgment. Whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Key number five to develop loving relationships is to respect one another with a godly love and a godly fear. Key number ten is to pray for number one another. Pray for one another, which we are doing. We have the prayer requests, and oftentimes in the announcements or even in the church bulletin, we heard about uh, from Mr. McNair the request to pray for the widow of Terence Kennel. So we pray for one another, that we can comfort one another. And our prayers do make a difference. James 5, verse 16 Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so you don't know what to pray about. Well, here's your church bulletin, today's church bulletin. And on the back we have listed ministers, deacons, and deaconesses. 
And then, of course, even throughout the bulletin, you have various announcements and prayer requests. And I've mentioned to you before, I had uh, printed out some time ago, and this is, uh, I haven't updated it, I need to update it, but it's, our prayer requests change almost daily or frequently, but uh, this is my prayer list of 130 names, I just have it on one uh, one page. Uh, people that I, I tend to forget, we, we're told to pray for someone, and then we forget about praying for that person, we pray for him or her a day or two, and then we forget all about them, but but this has been helpful to me to help me to remember certain people that I prayed for long ago and maybe forgot about. But they're still, they still need my prayer and our prayer. Number 10, pray for one another. I won't turn there, but you know the story of Peter in prison, Acts the 12th chapter, verse 4. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And as Dr. Meredith mentioned, we may up and some of us may end up in prison and we'll need to have that prayer from you. Number 10, to developing loving relationships is pray for one another. Number 11, is be filled with the Holy Spirit. We just read that, of course, in Ephesians 5, verse 18. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The May, June, Living Church News had uh, the uh, Dear Brethren by Dr. Meredith titled The Spirit of Power. See, he uh, mentions here on the end of his uh, editorial on page 20, May God help every one of us be determined to draw much closer to God, to the God of the Bible, during this period of time and drink of in of the power that is available to all of us through the indwelling of his spirit by which he created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. God's spirit is a spirit of power and of love and of our sound mind. That same issue uh, is an article by Mr. Peter Nathan a necessity of the Holy Spirit. And he says, let's consider seven reasons why we need the Holy Spirit. Number one, to develop Christian relationships. The need for the Holy Spirit to be present abundantly in our lives is given in terms of one of the most intimate relationships possible, marriage. It's on page 15 of the Living Church News. Marriage is a different metaphor and that used by Jesus at the Passover. There we were told that we would not be left as orphans. Now the relationship is deeper as we prepare to be part of the bride of Christ at his return. What is, it, what is essential? The Holy Spirit. Without it, the door is shut and we have no part. We are left like orphans outside alone. That's referring, of course, to the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25, verses 11 through 13. So when that trumpet sounds, we look forward to going into the wedding with Christ. Number 11 is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number 12 is fulfill the mission of the church. 
We all know the sevenfold commission of the church Dr. Merritt has given us. And of course, the uh, John 4, verse 34, which should really be a part of our thinking, a part of our meditation. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's what Jesus had as his very heartfelt passion was to do the will of God and to finish his work. I hope that we all have that same sense of doing the work. And right particularly here at headquarters, we have a wonderful team, wonderful cooperation, and uh, we can all do better. This is the uh, May-June Tomorrow's World magazine, uh, May-June 2016. Are we ready for God's intervention? The editorial by the editor-in-chief, Roderick Meredith. He writes, the message must go out. We need to move forward even more powerfully to proclaim this vital message as the darkness is swiftly closing in on this world. And soon, when these things occur, we can be eternally grateful and filled with joy as we see our Savior and our elder brother brother returning to give us the gift of eternal life. So the message must go out. And thank God it is going out. We thank God that you can hear the message, that you can support that message, and that you're being a part of that message. Number 12, to develop loving relationships is to fulfill the mission of the church. So in today's sermon, we've seen God's purpose for all of mankind. He expects us to develop loving relationships here in this life and for all eternity. He expects us to be good stewards of the blessings he's given us. And he's given us the two great commandments which reveal his way of life and reveal his way of love. Those commandments show us how to build relationships in Christ. We draw near to God and he draws near to us. In developing loving relationships, we need to love our Father in heaven and our Savior Jesus Christ more than anyone or anything in the world. Let me repeat that. In developing loving relationships, we need to love our Father in heaven and our Savior Jesus Christ more than anything or anyone in the world. We briefly discussed 12 keys to loving relationships. One, seek God. Two, know the other person. Three, share your life. Four, develop your personality to help others into the kingdom. Five, choose your friends very carefully. Six, listen carefully. Seven, have compassion. Eight, submit to one another and serve one another. Number nine, respect one another. Ten, pray for one another. Eleven, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And twelve, fulfill the mission of the church. In closing, let's turn to John, the 15th chapter. John 15. And here we find that wonderful close relationship that we have with God the Father and with Christ. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He proves that it may bear more fruit. Verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Then, verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so will you be my disciples. So brethren, let's abide, abide in the vine in a very intimate and close relationship with God the Father and with Jesus Christ. Let's be filled more with God's love, which is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, verse 5. That's a power in the universe, the greatest power in the universe, that helps us develop loving relationships. God is love. And we must have that loving relationship with Him and with our Lord and Savior. So let's continually draw near to God, and He will draw near to us. Then we can rejoice in the greatest relationship of all. The weeks ahead, as you travel and you meet brethren from other congregations, let's develop godly, loving relationships. Let's rejoice in God's coming kingdom. Let's rejoice in God's royal family of intimate and friendly and family relationships. And let's rejoice in His eternal love.